Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And I've only been spending about five minutes with these two gentlemen so far, and you definitely are having an opportunity to hear from the right people. I look forward to introducing you to Jason Haynes. He's the owner and lead consultant at Industrial Solutions, LLC of Arizona. Welcome, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really thrilled that we have a chance to connect. I think we've been kind of toying with this idea for a couple of years. Yep. Yeah, we have, actually. And then the biggest reason I had to cancel was for personal reasons and everything before. And then finally got an opportunity when uh, Kendra reached out to me I'm so recently glad. to yes. go through that whole process. So, such a great shout out to Kendra, who's been helping us rekindle some of those opportunities that we talked about a while. And I, too, took a personal leave for almost a year and a half. So, it's nice okay. to be back and... And we're thriving and growing. And you were smart to bring with you Ian Rush today. Yep. Yes, who's an automation specialist with Summit Electric Supply. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. I'm very excited to hear about both of your businesses and some of the neat collaboration and the way in which you're helping folks and manufacturing mainly. Am I right? Yes, mainly manufacturing. We do warehousing, a lot of industrial, but mainly mainly the manufacturing industry. Yeah, and, so. and all those other things are kind of ancillary to that yep. as well, yes. right? So good. Yep. So if we could ask uh, you, Jason, first to simply introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about Industrial Solutions LLC, yep. and uh, then we'll have Ian do the same with regard to Summit Electric Supply. And then I want to hear the backstory and how this is all coming together. we got plenty of time to, to get right. connected. So, so I'm Jason Haynes with Industrial Solutions. I, I do talk with my hands a lot. I know when... Good, podcast and everything it's you don't always see it i know we're on video right now but with industrial solutions we're a lean consulting training and uh, facilitation group that does a lot of uh, work with uh, process improvements within manufacturers uh, we can also work as i said before in other industries but mainly our bread and butter is manufacturing when i grew up i, I was told not to go into manufacturing by my, my parents and my grandparents and then I ended up going into manufacturing, loved it, and that's where I've gotten my passion for the manufacturing industry. What does lean mean? Lean is, to put it in simple terms, is process improvement. Uh -huh. It's really just trying to pull out your, your dysfunction within your facility in order to improve your processes so you can... I always say it, you reduce the chaos in order to help people understand how to make improvements through their process. Succeeding in a lean way mm -hmm. where there's not yep. any yep. excess expenditures, exactly. excess yep. time spent, excess employees. It's lean. Yep, exactly. Okay. Down to you're not always using machinery. We usually bring in the end when we need the machinery, but you're not always using that. You're using it, what you have on hand, the people you have on hand in a lean process, in a lean way of making those improvements. Yeah. Good. Before we go to Ian, I'm, I'm begging to know why mom and dad and grandparents said no manufacturing. Do you know this story, Ian? I not, think not a little bit. <laughs> so my, 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 a lot of it was back when I was growing up, as everybody knows, we was uh, transporting jobs over to China. And a lot of the manufacturing jobs weren't, uh, weren't the best paying jobs. I mean, it was rare to find a really good paying job. I even tell my dad today, a lot of those jobs aren't out there for the younger kids to be able to put them into those positions. So it, it, he had a great job. And I worked there for almost 10 years as far as being part of that process. But the jobs I had before that was bouncing from job to job that maybe... 
the top paying job was a $12 an hour job, which is great pay back then. But at the same time, it wasn't that great of pay as far as you didn't have your retirement, you didn't have insurance, you didn't have stuff like that. So a lot of the reason they tried to keep us from going into manufacturing is because all the jobs were being shipped overseas and they didn't want to see us struggle, wanted to see us go to college. A lot of the push was to go to college, get a degree and everything like that. Now, I did get my degree, but it was through the manufacturer I worked for. They yeah. paid for my tuition reimbursement and all that. And that's the biggest reason they didn't really want me to go into manufacturing. Not that it wasn't a good field. Yeah. It was just a lot of the jobs were dying at that time. And they yeah. just didn't want you to lose a job, have a family, and then be struggling the rest of your life. Yeah, so. and, and you've been able to say, I, I'm able to do it all. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Manufacturing and leadership. Exactly. Yes. And that's really where I got my passion for, like I said, manufacturing, my passion for leadership and and understanding the people at the front lines, getting to build relationships with those people. And I grew up in sports. There was camaraderie in sports. And then you get into into those those positions at the front lines and there's that camaraderie and getting to know the people, their their talents, their yes. skills. And another reason I did get into lean was as everybody knows today, we're having a talent shortage. Whether that's skilled workers or frontline workers, a lot of what I was trying to do was come in, show that we could save time in your process to be able to teach those people at the front lines extra. The, a, a different trade or a different skill and give them that time. And a lot of my friends back home have those skills, but say they had uh, a kid and they need to go to a job and take care of that kid and they're constantly working. They don't have time to go to there. So you're trying to save them time within the facility in order for them to be able to train those people to be mechanics, to work on the machines that like Ian puts into place or be able to be electricians or, or anything that helps or be in leadership for that matter which is a, another skill shortage that we have as far as leadership because a lot of people were thrown into the position and they just die. Uh, they get to a point where, and I was one of those, you get to a point where you're so overwhelmed and so busy all the time that you stressed out all the time. And when one of your employees comes to ask for something, you don't have time. And that's what really lean is all about is having that time and the respect for people and being able to provide that to those people at the front line. Joe Puzz uh, had his show with us for almost six years, and it was project management office hours. And one okay. of the things I always loved about what he said was that people often end up in leadership um, as an accidental manager. Mm -hmm. You're so good at your job. Hey, you ought to take over this team. And now they're doing what they were trained to do and expected to you know, be and lead and train and everything. So you're, you're helping alleviate some of yes, that yes. confusion and mm -hmm. making sure that it's streamlined. Yep. Very good. Very good. I can't wait to hear more. However, right now, we're going to pause and we're going to hear from Ian. Tell us about yourself and Summit Electric Supply. Sure. So Summit Electric Supply is known around the Valley for being an electrical supply house. So every electrician in the Valley has bought something from them over the years, wire conduit, switch gear, so on. Um, I was brought in as to lead a new initiative to go into automation specifically. So, I mean, we're a distributor at the end of the day, so we don't, we don't provide the solutions necessarily. We provide the components to execute those solutions. Um, and one of the things that makes me effective is that, you know, I am a degree holding engineer. I have a bachelor's, a, a, two bachelor's degrees, <laughs> one in uh, automotive engineering and one in manufacturing engineering. Um, I have eight years on a factory floor at companies like 3M and Wabash National. So I'm very familiar with implementing lean. I've seen it done well. I've seen it done poorly. I've implemented it with, with tremendous success. In the process, I've been able to work on a lot of projects that have introduced me to technologies and, and subjects that allow me to now, as a consultant, so to speak, you know, I, I can dig up opportunities 
And, you know, I have a Rolodex of, of what I call integrators. These are individuals who are experts on a particular subject of automation, usually two to three. One person will have that expertise. And so I can connect the customer with that individual and help them, you know, scope out a project based on hopefully some, some lean conversations they've had that have filtered these ideas to the top. Um, and then I have the, the tools, like literally in my warehouse, to execute that job. So it's like, oh, you need that? I got that right here, you know. So I have a functional knowledge of the components. I'm always up to date on what technologies are coming out. Um, I mean, there's always something new to learn. But, you know, I, I spend my time making sure I'm very familiar with what's currently available, what's coming. But more importantly, when people think automation, they, come, they always come asking for a robot. I love robots. They're, ama- they're so much fun to put up and watch them do their thing. They're a great tool, but they're not the only tool. They either make perfect sense, and it's a great idea, whether it's safety or, you know, like an ergonomic thing where someone's doing some really awkward position that, you know, makes them yep. sore or whatever, or injures them. So they're either a great solution or they're a terrible solution and just a tremendous waste of money. Um, and so, you know, what I enjoy is like, you know, that's always like the catchphrase coming in. And I love, I guess, doing a button hook and getting someone like, all you need is a conveyor. All you need is this quick, you know, it's a lot easier than what you think it is, you know. I'm Helping at, them understand that. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, that's me in a nutshell. I mean, that's what Summit Supply, Summit Electric Supply is, is providing is, you know, they already have the network. They already have the warehouse. And they already have the tools to, you know, get people things when they need them. Yeah. So that, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it. Well, you left out a couple things. So you grew up in a military household and you actually served in the military yes. for us. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So I, I was born on Camp Pendleton, California. My dad did 23 years in the Marines. Awesome. I grew up on Camp Pendleton. Um, and then uh, when it came time to serve, uh, the recruiter didn't have to ask twice. Yeah, I shipped out. Uh, I remember being in boot camp and being able to point to where my house was when I was a kid <laughs> from Edson Range. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the Marine Corps. I spent my, you know, young life, young adult life as a Marine. Thank you. And, so, and, yeah. and a funny thing is, is, what, about a week ago, you met a guy that I'd met before yeah. <laughs> through our uh, networking group that we do that uh, – actually serve with Ian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lavazzo. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And it just small happened. World. Yeah. It was ended up being a small world. You yep. just happened. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Because yeah, I remember asking uh, Aaron about it. And then he's like, yeah, he goes, I think I know that guy. So I show him a picture. He's like, yeah, I served wow. with him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's incredible. And uh, bi- bilingual as well. Yes. And, I'm, I'm fluent in Spanish. And how did that come about? I lived in South America for two years. Obviously learned language while I was down there and so I'm bilingual. Incredible. Yes. I meant to ask you before we went to Ian, you said you were an athlete growing up. What sport? I have some ideas in mind, I, but I might be wrong. So what ideas do you have? I, 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 I mean, I, <laughs> I'm thinking football, nope, uh, no, rugby. Nope. I was actually, wrestling. I, I did wrestling. <laughs> I, I did wrestling from my, the, from four years old up to the 11th grade. Um, my dad was big into wrestling, loved wrestling. I, I still love wrestling. I, could, I, I don't know if you guys watched much of the NCAA tournament or anything like that, but I was upset this year when Spencer Lee actually lost in the semifinal. So I was probably more upset than his mom that tore up his glasses or her glasses. <laughs> oh, no. and so it was, uh, it, 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 he, he's a great wrestler to watch. But, uh, but I wrestled, ran cross country, which cross country is a, a touchy subject because it was one of those sports. I wanted to play football. My mom wanted me to run cross country at the time you do what your parents yeah told you. My, i wanted to play drums my mom said girls don't play drums so i played the yep. piano yep. horribly <laughs> exactly <laughs> same and then uh baseball which baseball was yeah. my biggest sport 
and that's where I've met a lot of people. I, and it's funny. The thing is, is I met my wife through a guy I played baseball with so who lived down here with her and introduced us both. And, and that's how that all started. So, so I mentioned my 15 year old earlier, my youngest, he, uh, just became a sophomore yesterday, okay. and he, uh, as a freshman, placed in state for his second year of wrestling. So nice. he started in eighth nice. grade and fell in love with it, and he placed uh, state, I think, 128 uh, weight class. Okay. And then is also playing baseball. He's been a ball player his whole life. So it's okay. really been fun to watch him, yeah. you know, kind of find this new love, but also keep this other passion going. So okay. I love that. Great. Good. All right. So I want to hear about the networking group. But before we talk about that, tell me how the two of you got connected and why that's such a rich relationship and how that's working for you. So really how the two of us got connected was Ian reached out through LinkedIn. I, I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn. It's where being a solopreneur, that's where a lot of my marketing and, and, and advertisement comes from and, and kind of getting people to understand what I, I'm talking about because sometimes I get wordy and then I probably get wordy today. But it's one of those things where I, I post on there, Ian reached out to me, we've we meet for lunch or, or coffee either yeah. or it doesn't yeah. matter we met for lunch or coffee and we just hit it off from then on and, and basically bounced ideas and i started inviting him to the networking group we were spe- speaking about it showed up there and i started introducing them to different places that i was working in or had met but i couldn't help them but knew somebody that could help them so it's one of those things where it's as they say, use your network to to yes. get jobs done. Even if you're not getting in there and getting business, you're still helping the that, those businesses out, and you're a good resource for those businesses. And that's really where we we hit it off. Uh, he likes baseball, likes sports. I'm not a Marine. I won't kid. <laughs> I probably never could have been. My parents were not not against the military, but always told us never to go in the military as well. But uh, <laughs> unlike your parents. We're so. great. Well, great for, for the families that have, have said yes, that. We yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, love coffee. Both of us do. Love, uh, like I said, sports. And then uh, just hit it off as far as talking lean and, and industry and everything. That's so important. I love that you're sharing that. Relationships are everything in business. Yep. At the end of the day, Deals are made and opportunities are created because we connect with people. Yes. And and we always find a way to connect, right? I say to people when they come in, sometimes we pair people up in, in uh, some of my shows that don't know each other. And I've never been worried about that because just through listening to each other, we're going to find common themes. And maybe there's, you know, we never see each other again, but at least we've left knowing a little something more about somebody. Yeah. And in this case, a lot of great connections. How long has it been that you guys have been working mm-hmm. side by side? Around then? three years. Yeah, it's been I'd around say. three years. Uh, yeah, because I it was, yeah, right around three years. Yeah, and has it been about that long since you and your family have back, been back yep. or a little bit longer? Yep. Okay. So we moved. You know, we we used COVID as our excuse to get home. Right. So I kind of got stuck in the Midwest uh, working the jobs I mentioned before. It's hard to walk away from a company like 3M. So <laughs> I was like, I don't, I want to go home, but I don't want to leave. Um, so yeah, COVID gave me the excuse to come home, and uh, like I, I swear I met Jason almost immediately. Yeah. You know, obviously, COVID was it was a challenge. The role I had before this, I, I was more or less an application engineer for a small integrator, one of the people I was talking about. So yeah. that that company specialized in you know warehousing optimization, mm-hmm. and so I was you know helping design you know like full warehouses automation, you know the whole like vending machine type warehouse thing. And obviously, with COVID, it was a struggle to get in and talk to anybody, right? So we we kind of joined forces. You know, I have a very strong lean background. I'm not really a good sales guy. I can, I'm an engineer who can like hold a conversation without overheating. Um, and so I do all right. But like, you know, I'm more of a natural conversation guy, networking. Um, I really just like to talk solutions and help people work through them, even if I'm not the guy to do it. 
know, I have enough experience with lean. I've worked with enough projects. I've done projects anywhere from four grand to 400,000 to 4 million. Like I've, I've done projects at all the different levels. I can hold my own in those conversations, regardless of who I'm talking to. I really enjoy the process that he teaches because it, it's a very systematic way to, to arrive at the needs. And then you can go about looking for solutions. Um, and my moat is I ha- I'm good enough at what he teaches to get there. And my moat is like having solutions in my back pocket or people to call, you know, pick up the phone. I know who to call. And then, hey, man, like, this is what I'm looking at. Like, what is it that I need? And they'll be like, oh, you know, I'll send them a picture or a text or whatever. And I'll have, you know, I'll have a million dollars worth of salaries telling, like, literally helping me solve a problem. Incredible. So that's where, I mean, that's where Jason is is, is incredibly powerful because, I mean, he's, He's introduced me. You guys had AIB on here before? Yes. David Steinman. Yes. So, um, yeah, Jason actually. introduced me to him. He has his own him. show. Did you know that? Yes, I he does. He's he amazing. Show. I, I haven't listened to it, but I knew he had his own show. He's one of the neatest people yep. in my life. Yeah. And he's. it's been two years, I think, that we've had David yeah. Yeah, yeah, doing Changing the Perception of Blindness one conversation yep. at a yep. time and with a sponsor with AIB. Yeah. His dog's name is Rufus. Yes. So shout out to Rufus. Yay. <laughs> that guy's a hoot. Um, I yeah, love it. It's amazing. I mean, not to get too off topic, but I love, you know, he points out with disabilities, a lot of companies say that they're inclusive. One of the things he points out, he'll just point out very obvious stuff like you're inclusive, but, you know, this application is not able to be filled out by someone who's blind or visually impaired. Yeah. And it it's could like, easily yes. be shifted so yes. that it can. Yeah, it's like you yes. say you're inclusive, but like you can't, I can't even fill out an application at your company mm-hmm. without, you know, without help. So it's, it's, I love his show. He points out very easy. It's stuff that we can all work on. We can all help with. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, we're very proud Shout out to, to you, have David. Him. Yeah, so I, I didn't know that connection, so I'm super yes. thrilled. In yeah. fact, he just came. Uh, he was here last week for his uh, most recent episode, and then the week before that, we had a barbecue, okay. uh, and he came okay. and hung out with us with Rufus. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. So shout out to our buddy, David. That's okay. awesome. Mm-hmm. How were you introduced to Lean in the beginning? So how I, to be honest with you, the, the biggest reason I was introduced to Lean, uh, so I was introduced to Lean a long time before I even knew what Lean was. Okay. Um, but how I was introduced to Lean, I was flying back to the East Coast with my with my wife and read a book uh, called Lean Thinking by, I can't remember the two authors' names, but it's a popular book. Um, and and uh, read it, and at the time I was working in a startup, and I was, I was completely stressed out all the time, had the tension headache, all that kind of stuff going on. And couldn't figure out how to better the process to help the people because I originally went into leadership to help people out, help them grow. Like I said before, help the help people at the front lines that had the talents to be maintenance and electricians and leaders be able to grow and do that kind of stuff. But getting into this position, I didn't have time for that. Well, I found lean, and that's when I started implementing the processes as far as putting it in there. And I realized it wasn't really always to help the people at the front lines, and it was always wasn't always to help you affect your bottom line it was more the tools and stuff were to help you it's just like a carpenter using a hammer you take the the tools such as waste waste elimination or 5s or anything like that is to help you so you can help your people at the front lines once you start to say you implement a 5s program to where you eliminate all uh, barriers and you standardize the processes you're sitting there to uncover the the issues that are going on such as the uh such as how the flow through the company is going and where your bottlenecks are at. And, and, and you use those tools to visual, to, to put those visually out there. Cause it's easier for people to see stuff visually when there's too much chaos going on. Mm-hmm. Nobody sees anything. I mean, everybody's just 
trying to go as fast as they can to be able to get to that that number. And once you start implementing stuff such as your 5S, your waste elimination, your one-piece flow or value stream mapping, you start to uncover those those areas that you uh, you want to fix and everything. And a lot of times those, those areas that you need to fix aren't visual. So once you start uncovering them, that's when you start to, to see them and you can start fixing the actual problems instead of the just kind of the, the Band-Aid problems that happened every day that an employee might smash their thumb or something yeah. in something and they, they, they come along and you hurry up and put a Band-Aid on it. Where once you start putting the tools into place, you're able to, to uncover those, those, those uh, problem areas and then you can start fixing those areas. And that's really how I got into Lean was I was so stressed out and I, I'm like, this is perfect. This is what I really want and this is what I need. And I started putting it into place and uncovering those problems and started fixing the problems that need to be fixed. So that that's where I got into lean. And I'm thinking from a culture perspective for the companies that you work with and the companies that you support, I think we're all kind of wired this way. When you start to solve problems, even the problems they weren't even w- aware mm-hmm. were, were bottlenecks, don't people get a little bit more excited about their jobs yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and then want to chip in and help and hey if we solve this yep. can can we can we do this <laughs> do you uh, yeah, find exactly. that the people just yeah uh, yeah i would say that i mean lean i think it was jocko willink i'm sure more people have said it but um it's like you know amateurs talk tactics pros talk strategy and when with lean like i mean it's like going back to the drawing board you talk take a team of navy seals or any elite you know uh, group you know they, they get to be incredible on the like when they're at the tip of the spear because of all the work that went in before. They don't just show up because they're strong or fast and just be good. Like there's so much that went on before so that when when they're under the gun, so to speak, or when when, when it's time to do the, the job, everyone is on point. And when you watch those teams work, they're actually quite quiet, calm, collected. Like what, mm-hmm. what to the rest of us would be a very stressful situation. It seems very calm and collected. And it's because of all the all the training and practice that went into it. And and that's it's a culture of continuous improvement, and that's what Lean really teaches. Like it's why Toyota builds the most reliable car on the planet. Like every no one disputes that there are better cars and there are more way more fun cars to drive. There are faster cars. <laughs> there are more comfortable cars. But there's no more reliable car in a given class than a Toyota. And and that's Lean is how Toyota got there. Um, other companies, other automakers have tried to mimic Toyota, but their culture is so different that they bring in. I mean, they even like spied on. In the early days, they spied on Toyota. They would come back and try to implement the same ideas. And it's like with one person screaming loud on the floor, it doesn't it doesn't change the culture. Um, and that's why lean sort of works some places. Other places, it's a joke. It's like it's a four-letter word and people treat it like one. Um, in other places like Toyota and you know, Boeing and places that are known for quality and for doing uh, like, not just good things, amazing things, top-class things, they all like lean isn't even… Like, sometimes I don't even use the word lean. It's just like, this is the way things are done. Yeah. And everyone just knows from training before, just like, that's just the culture here. It's, they may not know that it's 5S or, or, yeah. or yeah. they may not know the name for the, you know, uh, 8Ds or 5Ys or whatever, but they know they know that tool. And that's more important yeah. Yeah, than, than knowing what it's called. Language. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times it's, uh, they don't need to know the tools or yeah. they don't need to know the name of the tools because if you show the person respect and you show them that you're willing to have their input and have them be part of the process, that's when you get that buy-in and you get them people that want to help you out and everything. Not everybody's going to, but most of the time, usually once you start to get to that point, you get 
where you're showing respect for people. And that's one of the pillars of Toyota as far as having, or lean as, as far as having that respect for people and having that in there. So they don't always have to know the, know what you're doing as far as the tools and what you're implementing. As long as they understand the gist of it, mm-hmm. they'll be willing to help you out and willing to, to, to buy to be part of the process. Like, and I know this is attributed to John Maxwell and Theodore Roosevelt, but it's always the, nobody nobody cares how much you know until you, they know how much you care. It's and so that's true, really what, the, what they're looking for is that person that's showing that they care about you yeah. and everything. As evidenced by, again, our conversation before we went on air, the two of you were, I was asking, how do you two know each other? Some of those preliminary conversations. And the amount of times that you guys, in a short few minutes, were talking about how, if if you can't help a company, you're pointing over here at Ian, yep. and, and Ian's doing the same, not only with you, but other people, because you care. And when people know that, they're going to keep that in mind, even if you weren't able to be of service to them at some point. Yes, Maybe they'll yes. swing back around. Let's talk about that networking group. Is this a networking group that you established? Is, does it have a name? And who's showing up there? And, and is there room for more? So as of right now, we don't have a name. Okay. Uh, I, I know mm-hmm. we've kind of toyed with names before, but it's more geared towards business to business, uh, working within industrial manufacturing and construction or anything that's within industrial that, that kind of has that framework because we work with pretty much those same type of companies because there's not a lot of groups out there as far as networking that deal with those those places. And, and the biggest reason I formed it, I used to be what we call the gatekeeper or the person at the front door that told the uh, salesperson that was coming in the door. I don't know. My manager's standing right beside me. I go, I don't know when he'll be back or she'll be back. He went out to lunch with so eight o'clock, it, but he takes a long lunch. So, so it's, <laughs> one of those, <laughs> yeah. so it's one of those things where it, it was like, how can we get into places and help each other out? Because a lot of, and especially during COVID, there was a definitely nobody letting anybody in to their doors unless you worked there or you was a full-time employee or, or something like that. So the networking group was really formed to help us network and bounce ideas off each other, customers off each other, introductions, and and help each other out. And I think the last group was eight. I've had up to 35. Wow. We've uh, mm-hmm. And one of the other things was also to try to go into facilities such as uh, the and I'll let Ian talk on that, that, that does robotics and everything to, so the people in our network group have that person in their toolbox and know somebody that they may be able to introduce one of their customers to. Yeah. That's so. one of my favorite things that's come from that is you're speaking about the Delta Technologies yep, yep. demo. So um, they're right here behind Tempe Diablo stadium. Um, I'm a huge fan of the, what they do. Um, I don't work for them, but it's a, it's a joy to bring, customers in to see what they do. Um, I, I've, I've done a lot of robotics work in my, in my, in my past, but I've never come across a, an integrator that had an actual demo lab. Mm. Somewhere you could actually like, hey, I wanna, I'm making this cup, I'm printing on it, and I want to just like see if you know the humans are doing this. That's really repetitive. They all have sore shoulders. I wonder if a robot could just do the, the ins and outs. Maybe the person could be the quality checker you know, or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, let, well send, me, send me a box of these cups, and we'll work up. Maybe it's the wrong size robot. We'll like kind of give you the gist, a proof of concept. So someone is buying on like actual proof that it works versus, I mean, I've literally seen, you know, half million dollars spent on like napkin sketches of like what they say a robot can do. You know, eventually it, 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 of course there are drawings in the end, but it's like in terms of when the the ball gets rolling on a project, they'll like just go to the races off of a napkin sketch. Oh, the robot could do this and it does this. And then, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollar robot. Why is the project a half million dollars? Because the scope wasn't clear. 
And like they didn't use any tools to come up with exactly what they were trying to get the robot to do. So once they start seeing, every time someone sees it doing something like, oh, what if it did this? What if it did that? And now all of a sudden now the robot's trying to do 15 different things. And the, the point is that like the original benefit would have paid for itself in a week. But because the, the, the scope creeped for months and months and months and months or maybe even years, it, by the time they actually get around to solving it, like it's, they don't want to need the benefit or it's cost so much money and time that everyone's like, I'm done with this. Or and, somebody else has done it cheaper, yep. faster, yeah. and more effectively. Yep. So, I, I don't know yeah. if you've seen the article. I think it, either this week or last week it came out. And, and a lot of guys in my lean community are, are writing Man Bites Robot. Uh, Toyota is actually kind of shifting back towards hiring man, men on or people on as far as replacing robots. Because sometimes, like Ian's saying, sometimes the scope has gotten so large and they, they don't uh, either implement it fast enough or it gets to the point where the, the projects change from the time of the beginning to, the, to when they finally implement it, that the robot or machinery, for that matter, isn't flexible enough for the process that they have within their facility. And then they buy this piece of the, the, the machinery or robot, put it in there, and it doesn't do what they need to do. And they basically have a person running the robot that you're paying the robot. Well, you paid for the robot and you're paying a person to do that job as well. So so Toyota's kind of shifting back. They're not 100% going away from robots and Elon Musk as well is doing the same thing currently as far as not shifting completely away from like an automated process, but has realized that you have to have those people there to have those ideas because mm-hmm. robots usually not going to talk back to you and tell you this is going wrong or that's mm-hmm. going wrong. Yes, they're easy to manage, but at the same time, you still need those ideas from people mm-hmm. from the outside. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have a 24-hour automated process, you're still going to have a person there that's going to have to watch over it to give you ideas as far as the problems and issues that you're having throughout that process. But yeah, Toyota's actually kind Mm -hmm. of shifting away, not away from, but back to men to kind of work with the robots, not completely replacing men with robots. Mm -hmm. That goes back to my original statement about like, you know, everyone comes in, like, I mean, robot automation equals robots. For most people, automation equals robots. Mm-hmm. And that's where I find a lot of strength and I, and I enjoy the process because they're cool to see. I'm not denying that. I'm, I'm a total nerd. I love them. <laughs> but it's like, if they're not a good fit, sometimes it's like, yeah, you can do that. Or, like, maybe, what if you just reorganize the assembly station altogether? Like, you spend $2,500 instead of twenty instead of 250000 you spend twenty five hundred on like a new workstation that's like where everything's work go or everything's like yeah. ergonomic heights, everything's in order. There's like little lights that come on, tell you like step one, step two, step three. It's like pull this fastener out, put it in here, pull this spring out, put it here. The whole thing's organized. Now the person is, you know, it's adjustable height, and maybe there's a conveyor with a tray that like brings them like their, you know, like the assembly line, but it's bringing them kind of semi finished stuff. They do their bit, they put on another conveyor that goes so like. You can do that. A lot of times it's way less complicated mm-hmm. and it's scalable. If all of a sudden the product changes, it doesn't change the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like it's still a conveyor, it's still a tote. Maybe the tote changes size or something. But like there's there's so many other tools to leverage yep. in that conversation that by all means call me about a robot, but like I'm probably gonna try to steer you away from it. Unless unless if it's obvious, of course. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. That's where the tools come in handy. That's why we work really well together. It's like when I come across, I mean, I'm equipped to do that process. I'll get fired if I'm like spending all my time helping yeah. a customer like go through the process <laughs> of defining a project, right. I can help. But it's like when I get to that wall where it's like, you guys can't afford me to like, you know, yeah. so I'll call my buddy Jason, like he'll come in and he'll work through this with you. And then when you have your answer, then, you know, I, I definitely have the tools to get you there. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't spend the next three weeks working with you guys on this, you know, on a Kaizen event or whatever. So that's yeah, where exactly. we really work well together and where 
you know, the ideologies go hand in hand. And not, honestly, it's why, you know, we've continued to succeed is because yep. people, like a lot of companies at the enterprise level, a lot of companies struggle with that. Like the buy-in at the, at the lower levels, a lot of the leadership, our finance backgrounds, they don't have any sort of like the tangible, practical experience on the floor. So getting them to talk yeah. lean and think lean is kind of square peg round hole. Again, that's where Jason comes in. Like, you know, he can help convert that ideology. And if, if you're really, you know, if you're at the top and you just, you're not going to learn anything new, you need to bring in a team that can get your team to think that way. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think that way, you need your team to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you, you run into this situation. A lot of times the, the situation I've always run into when it's like that is what I was saying earlier. I was so busy, I didn't have time to help my people out. Well, a lot of times it's like you go in and you start talking to, the, say, the uh, plant manager, the production manager, or a CFO or CEO, and sometimes they look at it they think it's a good idea, but they don't have time to research it enough to where because they're so busy doing the work and, and not understanding what needs to be done. And they don't always have the time to sit down and have meetings with you. They don't have time to, 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 to be able to go out there and take care of those problems. So they, it's almost like that uh, cartoon with the, the two uh, cavemen that had the square wheel and the one behind him with the round wheel where he's like, I got a suggestion. It's, we can't stop. We're too busy right now. <laughs> and he rolls so, and he, yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where, and I always, I always talk about this busyness, whether it's in, Work or your everyday life, like a lot of uh, the the some of the problems we're having in the world today. Sometimes I think it's because we've gotten so busy with things that we don't have time to stop and take care of our kids, and we don't have time. We don't to think stop. we have time. Yeah, we don't <laughs> think we have time because yeah. we've got other things going on, and we yeah. have to be busy all the time. And the same goes for within work. And a lot of times, I grew up on the front line, so it's one of those things where. I've heard what them guys, the front lines are saying, and a lot of times they're trying to say it loud enough that the people in the office, but the office people are usually so busy that they're not really hearing what they're saying. And so they, and don't get me wrong, going out and buying lunches and doing stuff like that is yeah. great, but that only goes so far. Yeah. It's when you start showing that, as I said before, that, that nobody cares until you show that you care as far as what you, you're thinking and everything. So you want to start showing them that you care, going out to the front line, seeing what their problems are, and and start to fix those problems. That way, they see that that you actually want to make an improvement, and then they start buying in and and going, just like your kids. It's yeah. once you show that you care about them, they start doing the things that you care about, and 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 showing that they're appreciative of what you're you're you're. Uh, I should say preaching and everything, and or trying to teach them and everything. So yeah. it's. It's not just in the manufacturing and in the work world as far as that goes. It's a way of being. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, we talked a little bit about the role of automation and the future. What else What else should we be thinking about and looking at? You know, and you talked about how we're kind of coming back to making sure that, you know, people are part of this as well. And it's not just automation. But what else should we be aware of as it relates to that? It is very much the future, but IoT industry of things. So everyone's probably heard the term preventive maintenance, Mm -hmm. but the future will be more predictive maintenance. So say you have a machine and there's one bearing that wears out. Maybe maybe right now you're replacing it every six months because historically it fails after seven or eight, right? And you you just, you have a plan shut down, you change it out because it's obviously more cost effective to have a plan shut down than have it break in the middle of of the process, Mm -hmm. right? There are, right now you can buy that same bearing with 
sensors in it that will tell you when it starts to vibrate and let you know, hey, this bearing is beginning to fail. So you can go from like this plan thing where you might have got two, three more months out of that, that component if you, you know, if you knew where, what its status was, almost like your car kind of telling you when something's going on. that's where automation on. can really be helpful. Yeah, and that can be as simple as it just throws out a light yeah. or it can literally shoot you an email saying, hey, this bearing is, is out of tolerance or out of, out of spec. It's time to schedule a replacement. And you can go as far as, you know, if you program it as such, you literally say it sends you the email and it lets you know, hey, here's the PO. I already cut it. It's already been ordered. It's on its way. Yep. And so, and, and like, it'll schedule the, the time to do the, t- like, it's it'll literally do the whole thing for you. So you just, you made like each person in, involved in that process extremely way more efficient. And again, preventative versus reactionary. Yeah. Who is the water uh, groundwater company we had on, Daryl? Do you remember? Can you look that up for me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm remembering our conversation with them where everything is preventative and they're mm-hmm. studying it and they know how to. I mean, it's was a, it's a great interview. If you want to go listen to it one, we can figure out okay. who it was. Yeah. But it's the same conversation. Prevent being preventative and proactive mm-hmm. is so yeah. much easier now with reactive. technology which, versus reactive. Which, and that's the funny thing is that the lean and the Toyota way was, that's basically what it was, is to be more preventative than reactive. Uh, rather than doing the Band-Aid and the firefighting, as, yes. as, as a lot of us in manufacturing call it, it was more the tools were to uncover your your process and show so you could fix the problems as you've seen them arise. I mean, yep. Toyota is notorious for, and you tell us to anybody that works in manufacturing anywhere, they're notorious. If there's a problem that happens, they shut the line down and fix the problem as it comes through. Yeah. Where a lot of places, you, you look at them and you tell them, hey, uh, if you get a problem, you need to shut your line down and fix mm-hmm. the problem and then, and then start back up and, and produce parts. A yep. lot of people will look at you like you're, you've got uh, a third what? leg growing out of your <laughs> yeah. out of your head or something. So it's one of those things where, yes, they're notorious for the whole preventative maintenance, but we didn't. They didn't ever call it that as, yeah. as far as. But mm-hmm. the the difference going back to the culture is that like at Toyota, they don't just stop it, fix that one part, and move mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. They stop it. They fix the process. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They take that one moment to fix the process because if they don't, then that same thing will occur over yep. and over and over again. And if you if you amateurize or you add up all those occurrences, those cost way more than just taking an extra 15 minutes to figure, okay, why did this fail? How did it fail? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what is it? Like, was it a, what, what, and and you're, you're pointing at the process rather than the person, which eliminates the personal. It's like, I did, I did what was in the instructions and this is what happened. So you can like, no, everyone's emotions are out of it. You focus on the process. You say, okay, we need this thing, or maybe we need this part, or we need this new component or whatever, whatever the solution is. But then they, when they start the line again, they didn't just fix the one part; they fixed the process for the future. Yes. So that's the difference, and why you know they can, their their vehicles continue to get more profitable every yep. year. It's like they don't just sell cars and make billions; they make more billions each year. Yeah. yeah. Is that making the same Corolla? You look at a Camry, Corolla, Tacoma, Tundra; like they remodel them like every 15, 20 years. Otherwise, it's like here's a facelift, here's some new lights. Like it's the same car for yep. 15, 20 years. And no one bats an eye at it. Whereas, like other automa- automakers, every single year it seems like they they have to refresh to keep you interested. Uh, I never it, knew it, that about that. That's, that's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> Matrix New World is the name of the okay. groundwater company. Really encourage you to go and listen to that conversation. Uh, there might even be some opportunities for some connections. Okay. But again, this this thinking around um, being preventative and letting automation really take what they're doing at a whole new level. Yeah. Mind blowing. Well, that's what you like. What you're saying with automation and people, at least with the preventative maintenance, it's working together instead of 
putting a machine in place of a person. It's it's using both to work together to to better the process rather than just throwing a machine at the problem or or in the past that you would just throw people at the problem mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than having enough people to do the process. You just threw a bunch of people at the problem mm-hmm. and got the problem done. Yeah. Share a little bit around returning manufacturing to the USA. Sometimes that conversation comes up in our show um, that I do with Arizona Technology Council. Steve Zelster and I do that show together and have for years. It's an important conversation. And again, I think COVID really helped us go, oh boy, Mm -hmm. we need to do that. So you're the experts. Tell me. This is something that's very dear to my heart. Um, Like I said, I lived in South America for a couple of years, 08 to 10. And when I came home, I I was basically gone for the recession, so to speak. I came home to a very dire situation with my family. Um, I was pretty brokenhearted about it, obviously. You know, I came home to a far worse situation than I left. Um, And I came home, like everyone was sitting around complaining about the situation. And I looked at myself and thought, you know, I'm going to create a solution to the problem. What I saw was a lack of quality jobs, like gainful jobs. I knew friends that were, you know, their dad, like we all have the rich kid growing up. Everyone has that rich friend, right? And like you look at what what their parents did for a living or whatever. There's a difference between like you hear jobs, jobs, jobs. Well, it's one thing to hire a bunch of people. It's another thing to hire people and like give them jobs that they're proud of. That they can they can raise a family on. Like, mm-hmm. forget about Bentleys and Rolls Royces and and you know, Breitling, Breitling watches. Like, think about just being able to raise your family. You know, have a couple cars, go on a trip once a year. Like, have a, a, a you know middle class life, working a good job that's safe that you come home from. Like, you know, maybe you're a little sore, but like you're not beat up. Like, you can you're gonna live a long healthy life. And like, when I looked at that problem, I saw like all the people who did well were the ones who could, you know, like, you know, move or, or make an adjustment and, and, you know, they had a skill or a trade that they could bring to the table or the people who were more efficient with their time. Yeah. Um, and when I looked at, you know, myself and my skill set, you know, I knew I was a nerd. I knew I had a, a strong technical background. I grew up in a garage, you know, slinging wrenches. I was very familiar with how stuff worked. I'm the kid when something broke, I would take it apart. Even if it wasn't made to go back together, I would take it apart to understand, you know, what it was, at least find what broke. Yep. And so I had that brain. So, you know, I, I put myself to study. I went, you know, I, I drove, I went to Minnesota to school solely so I could focus and not get distracted. My whole reason for going was to come back, I mean, to Arizona originally. And now it's just America as a whole. Like at the time I was young, whatever, Arizona, whatever. But like, I really saw this vision of like, you know, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. Because in my mind, I don't see another industry where, where regular people who aren't calculus geniuses, I'm talking about the finance industry, like you like regular people can have a great job doing something that's valuable, that meaningful, that they're proud of. And manufacturing, in my mind, is the only place where that can happen. Um, It's the only place where there's enough money, there's enough cash flow to justify higher salaries. And the way you get there is through automation. You automate the mundane, the redundant, Mm -hmm. the boring, the dangerous tasks. So people want to work there, which means you get higher quality, Mm -hmm. more qualified individuals in in the job. And you leverage the automation to make sure that that person is doing what makes them best, which is their brain. Yeah. Robots only do, or all automation only does what it's told to do. It does one thing over and over again perfectly. But if there's any sort of deviation, it's not going to do it. Yeah. And that's where humans will, will never be replaced is, is that the intuition, the, the ability to, to problem solve, decision make. Um, so that, that's my vision in terms of like, you know, and now that I'm here uh, back in Arizona, like I see it for Arizona with all the, all the manufacturers that are moving here. Mm-hmm. I have a strong personal like, interest in participating in that process and making sure that Arizona is the you know, crown jewel of manufacturing in the U.S. It's somewhere that every company that thinks, hey, we're going to build a new factory, 
Where should we start? I want Arizona to be on the top of that list every single time, no matter who it is. How much do you work with Arizona Commerce Authority for helping them place manufacturing companies outside the greater Phoenix area? Are you guys, I mean, are you involved in, do people reach out to you at that capacity and say, hey, where where should we be? Not yet. I mean, I yep. participate with the MEP. Yep. Um, what so is the MEP? Manufacturing right. Extension Partnership. Okay. They're, they're part of that. They're part of the right? ACA. Okay. Which, that's the funny thing with the, the MEP is that when I first went into manufacturing, it it was a, an unknown entity, not just here in Arizona. All it's They have one MEP in every state. They're, they're part of the NIST or National Institute, and I might botch this up, but I want to say it's the National Institute for Science and Technology out of Washington, D.C. So basically what they do is help bring people, if they can't handle it within their area, they bring people such as myself or Ian into their into a facility that they're working in so to help that area out. And like I said, they're not the largest known entity. And one thing I'd, I'd love them to be out there as far as more of a, a, a known uh, known place to, to for manufacturers to help. I believe they've gotten stronger here in Arizona in the last couple of years compared to what they were probably five years ago, but I, I believe there was stuff that was going on and manufacturing five years ago here in Arizona wasn't as big as it is right. now. So it's it's grown tremendously as far as the, the manufacturing here in Arizona. It's one of those things where a lot of people came here due to either moving here from China or moving here from other states as far as the incentives and stuff like that within the state that, that have helped them come to this state. A company I worked for before, the reason they moved here, so they had a facility in Ohio and they have a facility here in Arizona and then they're a Canadian-based company. They moved to Arizona because Arizona is the central point, basically the two largest economies in the in the nation of Texas and California. And the shipping lanes coming out of here are better than going to those uh, any other state here in the, this area. So it's basically just a central point in the middle that that helped them have cheaper shipping to those uh, those places. So not to mention our great lifestyle. <laughs> great <laughs> but, lifestyle. But yes, how, the, uh, geographically makes yes. a lot of sense, and then we've got a lot of great selling points yep. yeah. as to why fe- people should you know raise their families here and bring their their companies yep, here. The, the Very good. And the All that. Lifestyle. Yeah. Good. And what brought you to Arizona? Do I remember you? Did you share that? Well, you can't shovel sunshine is what I've always been told. <laughs> but it was actually, I, I met my wife and I moved down here with you, her. You so. say that. Yeah, very good. It's okay. You came here for the baseball. You know. <laughs> for the baseball. Well, <laughs> did that you was, come here for spring training? I've been here for spring training since 2011. It's really one of the things I like to do. I've kind of shifted more towards fall ball now because there's not as many crowds there. It, it, the fall balls, you're and uh, it's cooler. Yes, and it's cooler. Um, yeah. So it's it, so it's kind of shifted away from the fall ball yeah. or the spring training. We're about done with our segment, but there's a couple of questions I want to make sure that we get at right. before we close because I think they're important. Is there anything else that we hadn't touched on as it relates to keeping manufacturer manufacturing companies and industrial companies? competitive? I would just say, I mean, if you're not regularly preaching and, and working to integrate the lean ideology in your organization, you are you are already behind and you need to keep, you need to catch up. Like we're all counting on you. And a tool in that tool belt is the subject of automation. Again, it goes so far beyond. I mean, we're talking like when we're all using automation right here, our phones, like, you know, there's, this, I mean, it, automation is the, the software and systems that allow us to do our jobs more efficiently. Like imagine if every single one of these 
these components, like that right there is 16 different pieces of, of, of electronics before right. the Beatles and the <laughs> before the Beatles and the and the Pink Floyd walked into Abbey Road Studios and invented that device right. Well, yep. its predecessor, like making music was a very laborious task. And so automation is is not just like robots. It's it's finding ways to do your job more efficiently. Um, the lean ideologies that Jason teaches helps you get there and figure out what to work on. But like, I mean, it costs a lot to be an American. It's expensive to be an American and like hate it or not, like at the end of the day, like we have to find way to, ways to pay more people more money, make it worth for them to come to work. There's less people now working than were before. Um, our our and parents. many people needing opportunities. Yeah. yeah. So like our parents might, are depending on us to work for, you know. To, yeah. <laughs> to, so I, I would say, yeah, uh, le- le- learn to leverage automation. Uh, use people like myself and Jason to figure out where to start. Um, and don't be shy. Like, I mean. As long as you're working with people with with a strong resume, like they can prove that they can do what they're saying they can do, you'll always get an ROI, even if it's not exactly what you planned for. You'll always have an ROI. I can uh, I can guarantee you, lean is worth every penny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And so wherever that leads you, like it's it's worth doing, and like that's the center point of of all, the whole conversation, the, really. Yeah, and I think to kind of go off what Ian's talked about, to kind of bring us in whether it's to take a look at your processes, especially now with the employee shortages and and, and uh, skilled labor shortages and stuff like that, bring us in to take a look at your processes. And as I was saying earlier, a lot of times before we would throw people at the problem. Now you take a look at those processes. I know right now a lot of people are like, I don't have time for this. Well, bring us in. We'll take a look at your processes and maybe you can eliminate steps in that process that didn't need to be done before that you added in there. It's through your firefighting or band-aid processes, you add an extra step. And a lot of times you never went back because you thought, oh, we don't have that problem anymore. We can take a look and say, hey, you can eliminate this. And and instead of doing this with three people, you can do it with two people. Or, or, or instead of doing it with two people, you can do one person and take that second person or third person and put them elsewhere on, a, on something that matters. Or I like Ian was saying, with I take a look at your process and say it's a redundant task, which that's the one place that a lot of people, that, yes, you have to start somewhere, but a lot of times they get thrown in that redundant task and two or three days later, you're putting somebody else in that that task because that person quit or just got fed up and just walked out. And it, a lot of people want a job that they think that they're actually doing something to help the team yes. and help the facility mm-hmm. and help the organization because they want stability and they want to build on that process and and be part of the team. They don't want a job where they're sorting screws or sorting nuts or sorting mm-hmm. bolts and, and stuff like that. They want something that they're learning and constantly using their brain and, and thinking. And and they see that the way they're contributing, how that actually makes a difference on behalf yep. of yes. the clients and the customers they serve. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you hear some of those great stories, and I, I'm losing sight of the name of the companies right now, but the forklift man or woman, and mm-hmm. you go up and you say, hey, what's your job, right? And we would expect them to say, well, I get the boxes from here to there. And instead they're saying, oh, we're changing lives, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, because we're creating a new mechanism for the heart or whatever, yes, exactly. right? And yeah. that's And that's exactly what you're talking about. I love it. The last question then, most impactful technologies that you anticipate coming out in the next two to five years, what are we looking at? Uh, factor 4.0 for sure. What is um, it? IOT, the industry of things I mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. Factor 4, but just the whole concept, like that's kind of the, the, the next evolution of the process. I would say, I mean, AI has been around in manufacturing for 20 years. It's nothing new to us. Yeah, I could speak on that for an hour. Like, Good, come um, back and do that. Yeah, so like that. When Jason has his own show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gosh, I don't know. 
I think a lot of it's, and I know we're doing a lot more as, as far as having the training for leadership and having the training for the skilled trades and, and getting people more into that kind of stuff. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm not, everybody has to make a choice as to whether to go to college or go to, to a trade. And a lot of it is having people go to the, in the right direction instead of only having one bucket for them to go into and, yep. and yeah. understand. And so we have the people to work with the machines yeah. because we really are at a deficit with our so competitor. Yeah. I, I will say that like it is, really easy and I will say cheap like affordable compared to the old like five ten years ago to like automation automated solutions like I can rattle off four people right now that can literally install and commission a Mm -hmm. robot in your factory no matter what it's doing in a week like once they get all the parts indoor and on lead time supply chain can can be an issue but like once they get everything on site Um, they are, you know, organized, training, equipped to get it up and running in, in a matter of days or weeks. Like, yeah. like the nothing you're doing in your factory is new. It's all been done before. That makes the cost. The equipment's gotten cheaper, and then the expertise is there. You're not you're not reinventing the wheel. It's like, oh, I did that before. It just it was shaped like this. We got to get a different tool. But otherwise, the rest of the process is exactly the same. So, the cost has gone down. It's it's way easier. Like you can get immediate ROI. It's not this big, long, multi-year project. Like, if you're working with a pro, that's how you can tell. Like, if you're working with a pro is like they've done it before and yeah. they have they can show you pictures or YouTube videos of, of a similar application. It's like, oh, you're here. And, and, like, and they can do it. And then one last thing is that, that I think that will change is our supply chain for that matter. Yeah. I, I think our supply chain will get more localized. We'll get more workers. I, I know it's, it's, it's a struggle to get workers in the door and, and people that understand it. But I think, and really that was one of the things back when Lean first started was they localized a lot of their economy. A lot of their their suppliers were local. They literally, it, and this is one thing I really think here in the United States we need to get out of is not working together with our suppliers and stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of times, mm-hmm. growing up in the manufacturing field, I always say you was in a uh, bubble and you weren't uh, you weren't allowed to, to talk with different people. Or it, it, it was more about bicker or uh, dickering on price than it was about. Uh, Solving the problem. Solving the problems and collaboration, to, uh, finding yeah. ways to help each other, which Silos, is yep. right, which is what you two have been such a great example yep. of today for us, and the whole idea behind this networking mm-hmm. and the way in which you share leads and and help again, give first, give always, and yeah, this has been really a great conversation. Yep. I am looking forward to having you come back and, and explore you. this more. I have so many ideas running through my mind around how your organization can continue to not only train lean and and yep. help people with leadership, but also change the trajectory of where we're going as okay. as a, a that's known yes. for manufacturing. Yes. Great. Uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, I know you're both on LinkedIn. That's how I think we found you yes. originally yes. and how you two found each other. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, Jason, for you with Industrial Solutions LLC of Arizona, what is the website? It is isiworld.net mm-hmm. uh, or you can reach me at uh, J-H-A-I-N-E-S at isiworld.net. I do say the I because of my accent, just to let everybody know. <laughs> or you can call me. I, I, I don't know if my, my phone number's on LinkedIn, but if you email me, I'll, I'll typically give you a call back. Yeah. And in our show notes, when this becomes a podcast today, for those of you who are listening live or watching live on LinkedIn, uh, we'll have everything's uh, hyperlinked for you oh, guys right. as well. So you're gracious to give us your contact information. And Ian, for you as well, also on LinkedIn as Ian Rush. And then for Summit Electri- Electric Supply, how do we get in touch with you there? Uh, summit.com, S U. M-M-I-T. Easy. .com. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so. Good. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation today. It was certainly uh, extremely informative. 
for me, the novice, but also for the folks who are listening and are interested in, in getting lean and connecting with you guys, I'm sure that they're going to walk away going, I need to know these two guys in their organization. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from Max 6 Entrepreneur Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. Some media leans left and some lean right. We lean manufacturing and thank lean. You. Thanks for listening.